Church, will you join me for a word of prayer this morning? Father, Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for another opportunity to be in your house, to hear from you. This is your word that we're opening this morning. This isn't my word or anybody else's word that we're hearing from today, Lord. It's you, so I just pray you be honored and glorified as we seek your face this morning, as we seek to understand more about who you are and what you've done for us in Christ. Lord, I pray you be glorified, magnified in the words spoken, Father, and that you would just bless each one in attendance, those who are listening today. We thank you, we praise you, in Christ's name, amen. Well, welcome church. As I've mentioned earlier, some of you may not know me. My name is, is Ryan. I'm one of the associate pastors here at First Baptist Church. I'm delighted to be with you today uh, and preaching uh, God's word this morning. Uh, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The person who put the slide together just kind of missed it there and put 1 Corinthians in full confession. I'm the person who goofed up the slide. So uh, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 that we're going to be looking at and talking about the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ. And this is a wonderful message. You know, I, I had begun preparing this and thinking about it um, and knew in the back of my head that we would be doing graduation recognition today. But um, it just really God put things together um, for this because I think this is a key word for those um, who are launching out of high school, going into the workforce, going to college, whatever it may be. Uh, to remember what our primary ministry is, because that's the focal truth today that we're going to be talking about. The focal verse will be verse 6, and I'll be reading from that here in just a moment. But the focal truth that we're going to be, that's overarching everything today. What is our primary ministry as believers in the Lord Jesus, as we go out in this world, what is our primary ministry? <clears throat> well, our primary ministry, primary, not that there's not other things that we do, but our primary ministry is to proclaim the gospel because only in proclaiming and sharing the gospel is the glory of God revealed to those who are blind and lost in sin. Only in proclaiming the gospel is the glory of God revealed to those who are blind and who are lost in sin. A few questions may come to mind. What is the gospel? And we'll get to that this morning. How do we come to understand the gospel and embrace the gospel? All of us who are believers here today that had a moment in our life where we came to understand the truth found in God's words, particularly as they relate to Jesus. But how did we come to understand that? How did we come to embrace that? <clears throat> also, what prevents others from embracing the gospel? Many of you who have, have shared the gospel any number of times knows that every, not every time you share it does somebody come to profess Christ as Lord. So what prevents others from embracing this message? If you've been a believer for any amount of time, you've asked these questions. Paul certainly grappled with these questions too, and he earnestly wanted the church at Corinth to understand them, Paul devoted his life to gospel ministry, to being an apostle to the Gentiles, to making Christ known among the Gentiles. And in this passage that we read, we're going to be reading today, Paul is addressing again the Corinthian church in this second letter he wrote to them. In the first letter, he was encouraging them to be a unified church. They were disunified. They were disorderly. He was correcting some issues of sin and doctrine among them, particularly issues of sexual sin. And one of the key doctrines that he addresses is the doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. But in this letter, he's calling on them to be unified with him in the ministry of the gospel. This letter is more personal, very personal letter of Paul. Paul had suffered a lot of attacks, physical and otherwise, on his character. And he is defending his ministry. He's defending his gospel that he is proclaiming. And he's asking the church to join him. They're ministers, as are we. Not just the person in the pulpit is a minister of the gospel. Anybody who's been saved by the Lord Jesus 
is a minister. We're to go out and to administrate, to serve and to share this glorious gospel that we've been given. Not a gospel of the old covenant, which was glorious. It was God given. But the old covenant was one that was fading away. And this new covenant that Paul's talking about here in 2 Corinthians is one of unfading glory. If you look previously in chapter 3, Paul had described that one of the main differences between the old covenant and the new covenant was the issue that the old covenant was temporary. It was glorious. It was God-given, God-breathed. It's inspired scripture for us to read today. It displays his character and his worth. It was glorious, but it was a glory that was meant to fade away and give way to something greater. It pointed to something, to someone greater. It was temporary. So when Moses met with God, Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 3, when Moses would meet with God, he would come away and his face would be literally radiant with the glory of God. <clears throat> he had to veil it in order to talk to the people. But Paul says in verse 13 of chapter 3, Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. In other words, that, that glory that Moses radiated when he came out of the presence of God was slowly fading away. And if the old covenant, which was temporary, was glorious, how glorious is the new covenant, which is eternal and which is unfading? And that's what Paul is calling the church and us to join him in this ministry of a new covenant of unfading glory. He's calling us to join him in this ministry of making the glory of God known in the face of Jesus Christ, as it says in verse 6. So in this passage, we learn about that ministry um, that we're called to be a part of, the ministry of sharing the gospel. And so with that being the case, if you have your Bibles, let's open up, if you haven't already, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6 and follow along as I read. God's word says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, and underhanded ways, we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is God's word this morning. I got five primary points that we're going to look at today. Uh, five. Um, and we're going to look at these. Uh, verse one, we're going to actually save till the end. So we're actually going to start in verse two. Start in verse 2. The first point <clears throat> that I want to address from this passage is that the gospel, <clears throat> Paul makes very clear, that the gospel is not to be tampered with. Is not to be tampered with. Paul recognized in being a minister of the gospel and proclaiming the gospel that the message would be an offense to many and that it would be rejected by many. He even knew that many would seek to cause him harm physically because of this ministry that God had given him. Paul recognized that this gospel that he proclaimed of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, this gospel would be the aroma of death to some and the aroma of life to others. If you look at 2 Corinthians 2, 16, this is exactly what Paul says. To one, a fragrance from death to death, to other, a fragrance from life to life. Who's sufficient for these things? Paul sometimes just throws up his hand. You know, who am I to administrate this gospel? 
But Paul refused to go about gospel ministry in a way that was disgraceful or underhanded. As many who were accusing him of being disgraceful and underhanded, so were they. Uh, some of your translations may say that he renounced hidden things of shame. And the point being is that Paul had turned away from the hypocrisies of his past life as a Pharisee. Paul owned who he had been before he became a believer in the Lord Jesus. Paul knew that he lived a life before coming to Christ that proclaimed a lot about God, had heard a lot about God, but who did not know God at all. Paul was now devoting himself wholeheartedly to this gospel ministry that Jesus had called him to. But many of Paul's enemies had accused Paul of being underhanded or of being hypocritical. And the enemies of Paul would themselves be self-appointed apostles. Paul did not appoint himself as an apostle of the Lord Jesus. Jesus appointed Paul as an apostle. But many who were rising up as enemies of Paul during this time had self-appointed themselves as apostles. And they sought to destroy the reputation of Paul in order to elevate themselves and gain influence in the church. And he condemned these cheat teachers in chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians, verse 17. He called them peddlers of God's word. Peddlers of God's word. And what Paul refused to do with the gospel was to practice cunning or to tamper with it. The word cunning in the Greek can also be translated as crafty, and it's not a good thing. Uh, it's the same, actually the same Greek word that Jesus would use in Luke chapter 20, verse 23, to describe how the scribes and the Pharisees and the chief priests pursued him and questioned him, trying to trap him or to make him blaspheme. They were crafty and cunning in their pursuit of Jesus in order to see him stumble. It's also the same Greek word used in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, where Paul warns the church not to succumb to human craftiness, lofty speech of men, or deceitful schemes. Not everybody who has a Bible in their hand and proclaims the gospel is an honest, called minister of the gospel. Paul dealt with many who had come in the guise of being gospel ministers, but who were false. They were seeking influence in the church. They were not seeking for others to know Christ. In other words, Paul is saying that he does not, he's not using the gospel in a crafty or a deceitful way in order to elevate himself or for personal gain. And the word for tamper here is actually a very strong word in the Greek. It means to ensnare, corrupt, or to adulterate, to pollute the gospel. Anytime that you or I add something or take something away from God's word and sharing it, we're corrupting, polluting, diluting the word. One commentary put it this way, that this same word is used in non-biblical sources to speak of the dishonest practice of diluting wine with water so that they could sell more wine, but it was diluted. What Paul is speaking against here is adding anything to or taking anything away from the gospel so as to water it down or to twist it for personal gain. We're not to pervert or distort the gospel. Sweetening the gospel by adding to it is not the gospel. Weakening the gospel by taking from it is not the gospel. Anything short of the actual pure gospel that was handed down to, us, handed down to the apostles from Christ himself and handed down from the apostles to us, anything short of that or anything added to that is indeed not the gospel and has no power to save whatsoever. And Paul says that he proclaimed the, the, the pure doctrine of, of the gospel in simplicity, without deceit, without disguise. And all who had heard him proclaim stand as witness to this fact. Paul didn't do what he did in a corner. He didn't do what he did in secret. All could stand and testify to the fact that Paul's message from the beginning to the end was the same. It centered on the person and the work of Jesus. 
But more than that, when he stands to proclaim the word of God, Paul knows that he stood, he stood before God himself. Paul, in his letter to the Romans in chapter 1, verse 16, would say, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So Paul knew that in the power, it was the power of God working through the message of the undefiled, pure gospel that changed people's lives. And we ought to know this too. Nothing that we add to or take away to sweeten it or to, to make it less offensive will work, will do. A half-hearted gospel leads to half-hearted professions, which leads to half-hearted churches. And, but God works through proclaiming and sharing the full gospel message, which is what I hope that we all seek to achieve as believers today, to seek to share the full gospel message so that God working through that might save people. After all, you know, it's not just, by the way, when we share the gospel, it's not just the objections of man alone. Many times you share the gospel with somebody, there's objections to it. There's always objections to overcome. But that's not the only thing, right, that we're over, having to overcome in order for someone to be saved. There's also the work of Satan to overcome as well, which is what Paul points out here in, in the second point in verses 3 and 4. Paul points out that the gospel is veiled to those who are perishing. That there is a reality. There are people who are lost in this world without Christ, and the gospel is veiled to them, and they are perishing without that. Paul's opponents had a problem with Paul's message. But Paul makes it clear in these two verses that the problem lies not in the message of the gospel, but with the hearer. See, there's two things at work that prevent someone from receiving the gospel. One is the universal sinfulness of man. Our own sin-hardened hearts, right? Seek to turn away from God. This is clear when you read passages like Romans 3.23, Ephesians 2.1-3, and Romans 5.12. But the second thing at work, which is what Paul is pointing out here, is the blinding of a person's spiritual eyes by Satan so that they do not see the beauty of Christ that's proclaimed in the message of the gospel. That's what Paul's saying. If, this, if his message, Paul's saying, if my message, if the gospel is misunderstood, if it's veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. It's not the fault of the message. Their hardened hearts have rejected the message because of sin, pride, and the influence of Satan. So this blinding is not against the will of man, but it's in accordance with it. Jesus makes this clear in John chapter 3 and verse 19 when he's talking with Nicodemus. This is what he says about humans, about people, about us. For this is the judgment. <clears throat> the light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light because their works are evil. So there's two things going on in the heart of an unbeliever neither of which can be overcome by any effort of man or you and I or anything that we could do. There is the sin hardness of a heart and then there's spiritual blinding. And both of those must be overcome if one is to see the beauty and the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ. So Paul's saying in order for someone to be saved, in order for somebody to be saved, they must see Jesus. They must see him. They must behold his glory they must come to value his beauty. Why is that? Well, because Jesus is the image of God. To behold Christ is to behold God. To see Jesus is to see God. And according to Paul, this seeing is primarily done by proclaiming and sharing the gospel. The light of the gospel is the glory of Christ. And so when this message is proclaimed, he shines through. When the gospel is proclaimed, it's Jesus that people should see. And according to Paul, 
What it means to be lost is that a person is perishing because they are failing to see this. They're failing to see the glory of Christ. They're being blinded to the lie of the gospel, which when shared reveals the glory of Christ. John Piper, one of my favorite authors and pastors says this. He says, we know from 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 and 4. So what's the gospel? He says that the foundational events of the gospel are this. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Yes, that's gloriously true. Without this, there is no gospel at all. If Christ has not died for our sins, has been buried and has risen again from the grave to overcome death, there is no salvation. There is no gospel. There is no good news. But Piper says what we must see in those events, if they are to be the gospel for us, is the truths of 2 Corinthians 4 and 6, which tell us we must see the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And that is we must see the glory of God in the face of Christ. Because that is what the gospel is. The gospel is not just historical events. That's the foundation, right? Christ died and was buried and he rose. That's good news. The gospel is good news. And we do not see that good news. It's not good if we do not see the events in the events, the glory of Christ and the image of God. Jesus was God. That's why everything that he did is important for us. And Paul's really driving at the heart of the issue here. Man's biggest problem to overcome isn't that we haven't eloquently said the right things or done the right things so that they might believe. Man's biggest problem is that because of sin and Satan, they've been blinded to the most glorious thing that their eyes could behold. They've been blinded to the one thing that can save them. They're blind, and so they don't, they don't know they're perishing. And so the great need, according to Paul, for those who are perishing, their, their deepest need is to see Jesus. Is to see Jesus. And so the main problem that Paul is pointing out here to the church at Corinth is that the reason some may not profess Christ is not the fault of the message. It's not that we should change our message when people fail to believe. Many accuse Paul of not being savvy enough or eloquent enough. Lord knows I've been, I'm not either one of those things either. Paul was plain. He was simple. His rhetoric was down to earth. It wasn't lofty. Paul could have used lofty language. He was a Pharisee. He knew how to do it, but he didn't do it. According to Paul's opponents, he didn't look the part. He didn't sound the part. And that was why people were failing to grasp the, mes the message. They were saying that the pews are not filled because Paul's not doing it right. And Paul's refuting that premise by saying, no, it's not me. It's not the message. It's sin. And it's the work of Satan. So those who are perishing have an issue that man's mere efforts can't solve. And if we aren't careful, we fall into the same trap as Paul's opponents. We think we need to be a smooth or a dynamic speaker in order to lead others to Jesus. We think we need to find compelling speakers and people who look the part, people who sound the part. And we often fail to share the gospel ourselves because we think our words aren't sufficient. We're like Moses in Exodus 3 before God who's saying, Lord, I can't speak right. Don't send me to those Egyptians. Send somebody else to speak. I can't speak. I have, a, I have an issue of speech impediment. Right? We make excuses before the Lord. We think people won't listen to us and they'll call us fools and they may do that. Paul says that's okay. They called Paul a lot worse. But here's the good news for us. Here's the good news. It's not about you and it's not about me. It's not about how good we are at sharing the gospel. It's not about how eloquent we are. It's not about how loud or how soft we speak. The gospel is not about us at all. The gospel is not about us. And that's good news, which means when we share it, God's doing the work 
not us. And that's the, that's the third point here. The gospel is not about us. That's what Paul's getting at in verse 5. Paul says, for we proclaim, what we proclaim is not ourselves. And to put it simply, Paul never promoted himself. But he always preached Christ crucified. Paul had one aim, one goal, to preach Christ and Christ only. And the false teachers of Paul's day may have accused Paul of promoting himself, but they were the ones guilty of that. They were the ones guilty of that. Our chief aim, our main purpose in sharing the gospel is to get ourselves out of the way. And sometimes that can be a really hard thing to do. We all have our own story of how Christ has changed us, which is a very good story. If you're a believer today, you have a testimony. Somebody shared the gospel with you. You came to know the Lord and you have a story as to how you came to know the Lord. Some of you were very young. Some of you were older. But nonetheless, we have a, a testimony. And a testimony can be a very effective tool in opening doors to share the gospel. It can also be a witness as to how Christ can change anyone. But a testimony is just that. It's a testimony. Our story is not God's story. It's giving witness to something bigger and greater than us. As great as our testimonies may be, they're not the gospel. Only the gospel is the gospel. My story, your story, in and of itself will not change anybody. But the gospel can. So our testimonies, hear this part, our testimonies are only effective if they're pointing others towards Jesus. Our stories about our own spiritual journey, how we came to know the Lord, are only effective if they're pointing others towards Jesus. And that's why Paul is saying we do not proclaim ourselves. We do not talk mostly about ourselves. Paul per certainly shared his testimony. You can see it's recorded in Scripture in several places. But he recognized it was the power of the gospel that saved people. And we're to do the same. We proclaim Christ. We're servants for his sake. This takes humility on our part. Something God must work in us. We must get ourselves out of the way and point a spotlight on Jesus and magnify Christ. One commentary puts it this way, as ministers of the gospel, for by whatever title of honor we may be distinguished, we are nothing more than servants. It's a servitude so that Christ alone may be elevated to distinction and not encumbered by the shadow of a single rival. We are servants of the gospel for the sake of Christ. We are pointing others to Jesus. We're not making much of ourselves, we make much of him. And so when it comes to his glory, Christ has no rival. He will not take second place and for the sake of the lost, Christ and Christ alone must be proclaimed. Because as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.14, this veil that remains unlifted, it stays there. It stays, remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Which is what we get at with point four. The gospel reveals the glory of God in the face of Christ. So it's not about us. So what's the main purpose when we share the gospel? Our primary ministry is what? It's seeing the glory of God revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. So here Paul offers a comparison between how God created light in Genesis 1 and how God brings about salvation through the message of the gospel. So when he says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, he's referring to that moment where God called forth in creation light. He just spoke it and there was light. In Genesis 1-2, it says that the earth was without form and it was void and darkness was over the face of the deep. But in Genesis 1-3, everything changed. God said, let there be light. And the Bible just simply says at that point, and there was light. That's how God operates. In the Hebrew, that's only two words. 
Think about that. In the Hebrew, God spoke two words and he changed the fabric of the universe. God doesn't have to say much to completely change everything. He doesn't have to say much that the cosmos are upended and everything is different. One moment there was nothing but darkness and the next when God spoke two words, there was light. Not sources of light, by the way, not stars or the sun or supernovas or anything else that we would consider as a source of light in the heavens today. None of that was there yet. No, there was just God and there was light. It was his light shining forth in the universe. He made it, he spoke it into being and light simply was. And Paul says miraculously that that's what happens when we share the gospel. So just think about that for a second. The power of God that spoke light into the cosmos that lit up the universe for the first time. There was darkness and then there was light because God spoke. Paul's saying that that same thing, God does the same thing through the ministry of the gospel. When the gospel is shared, God supernaturally lifts the veil. He removes blindness caused by sin and Satan. And when there had, where there once had been only death and darkness, now there's life and light. That's the power of the gospel, the full gospel. So when the light illuminates, what it illuminates, according to Paul, what's it shining a spotlight on is the glory of God in the face of Christ. John MacArthur says that the same God who created physical light in the universe is the same God who must create supernatural light in the soul and usher believers from the kingdom of darkness to his kingdom of light. Or as Paul says in Colossians 1.13, he's delivered us from the domain of darkness and he's transferred us to the kingdom of the son he loves. So you see, in order for salvation to take place, God, through his word, must shine a light in darkness. Through the sharing of the gospel, blind people receive sight. And what they are made to see, which is what they could not see before, is the glory of God in the face of Christ. So if we're saved today, if you're saved today, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus, it's because somebody at some point took an opportunity with you to share the gospel, to share the truth of the Lord Jesus with you. And through that, God removed the veil from your eyes he chiseled away at your sin-hardened heart, and he helped you see Jesus. He didn't help you understand primarily historical facts about Jesus. No, he helped you see Jesus, who he is in his glory. So to be saved, we must come to know that the glory of God shines the bright, brightest in the face of his son. So here's the truth. Christian, when you're doing gospel work, that's what you're taking part in. God is using you to lift the veil off the eyes of unbelievers so that they might see Jesus and be saved. They might see Jesus and be saved. Another quote from uh, John Piper, which I love, there's a book he wrote called Future Grace. He says that what happens at salvation as the gospel is shared is that God shines in their hearts to give them a spiritual apprehension of the glory of Christ, that he is gloriously precious beyond all competing values and treasures. That's what happens when you share the gospel. They see something they did not see before. There's life where there was death, light where there was darkness. We also embrace Christ as this spiritually excellent treasure of our own souls. That's, that's what saving faith is. So it's in the sharing of the gospel where God helps the lost go from hearing about Christ to seeing him. Uh, after this service today, I'm meeting with, hopefully, a few men who will be going to South Asia with us trekking uh, sharing the gospel is a place that I've been to before. And many of you who've been on foreign trips have probably 
say the same thing, that there's a palpable, very tangible spiritual darkness when you go to some of these places. People, their whole life, all they've ever known is the worship of several gods, or maybe no god at all, or maybe a combination of all these things, and it's thrown into this melting pot of religion. And you go to these places as a stranger, and you're sharing the gospel with people in a place where many people, most people throughout the centuries have been born, they've lived, and they've died, and they've never heard the gospel because there is not a single gospel witness in their life. There's no Christians, there's no churches in these areas. And you go and you meet them and you're a stranger and you're sharing the gospel with them and you can almost feel the spiritual darkness at work. And as you share the gospel, anytime you're in a context like that and somebody comes to receive the Lord, comes to accept this truth of the gospel in a way that changes their life and redirects their course. And I've, I've talked with some that God has done that. I talked with a man who um, was led to Christ at the age of uh, 14 came to trust the Lord. His family was Hindu. And because he came to trust the Lord, they literally kicked him out of his house at 14 years old. And he was on his own. And he has started over 50 churches in that part of the world. God has used him to start over 50 churches in that part of the world. And that's God's work. That's, that's, that's lifting the veil. It's a very real ministry. And it, it happens here among us too. In sharing the gospel, in sharing the gospel, that's what happens. God helps the lost go from hearing about Christ to seeing him, and it's a miraculous work, no matter what context it happens in. A person who hears the gospel and receives Jesus is like Job. You know, if you recall in Job chapter 48, I believe it is, Job had went through a lot of suffering. He had complained a little bit, and he finally saw God. God finally showed up and revealed himself to Job. And here was Job, here's Job's word. He said, I had heard about you, Lord, by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I, what was his response? He says, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. Christian salvation is the work of God. It's not about you. It's not about anything else. It's about Christ. It's about God and his word and the gospel. That's why when we do the work of the gospel, God tells us not to lose heart. And that's our closing point today. The gospel compels us not to lose heart. So I go back to verse one. This was the beginning of Paul's argument. But I believe it makes for a fitting conclusion, too, to what he has been addressing in these verses. And this is especially a word to those who are graduating as you go out in the world. It might be easy, based on what you encounter, to lose heart. If you're a believer in here today, God has gifted you with this precious ministry of sharing the gospel. And as Paul calls it later in 2 Corinthians 5, it's the ministry of reconciliation. But it's easy in doing this ministry to lose heart. Paul says, don't, don't lose heart. We lose heart. There's a lot of reasons that we could lose heart. Opposition to the gospel. We lose heart because we feel inadequate for the task. We might lose heart when we share Christ with those that we love and they become more hardened and they reject the word of the Lord. We lose heart because we live in a world where the message of the gospel is often considered foolish. But here Paul commands us, he exhorts us, do not lose heart. Do not give up. And if anybody had a reason to lose heart, if anybody had a reason to get up, it was Paul. To give up, it was Paul. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he lists all the things that he endured in gospel ministry. Imprisonments, beatings that left him near death. Five times he was beaten with a whip. Three times beaten with rods. Once stoned and left for dead. He was shipwrecked three times. Most of us, what's the chance that you'll be shipwrecked in your life at just one time? Paul was shipwrecked three times. How unfathomable is that? Three times shipwrecked in danger from robbers from the Jews who hated him, from the Gentiles who hated him, danger at sea, and from false brothers who would later abandon him. He spent many sleepless nights. He endured hunger and thirst and cold and exposure. I dare say none of us have been 
pushed to the point of losing heart or giving up like Paul was. Most of us haven't even been pushed to the point of thinking about giving up, let alone giving up. We haven't sacrificed to that point. We haven't suffered loss to that point or been physically assaulted like Paul, all for the sake of the gospel. But here, we're commanded by Paul, never give up. Do not lose heart. Don't quit. Why? Because our merciful God has bestowed upon us the ministry of opening blinded eyes, of sharing the gospel so that he might, through, the open, through that, open blinded eyes so that many may come to see Christ for the first time and be saved. Isn't that something that you want to be a part of? Maybe you've been on the sideline too long. Maybe it's been a while since you shared Christ with somebody. And God's going to put, we need to pray that God would put somebody in your life to share with. Maybe you've lost heart. Maybe you've thought about giving up. <clears throat> I hope the Holy Spirit drills this truth into our hearts today. Don't give up because God is at work. There's spiritual blindness all around us, across the world and in Dixon. And we have the only answer. The gospel is the only answer. So our question is, is, will we join him today in the ministry of the gospel, the light of the gospel, revealing the glory of Christ? A few points of application today that I wanted to uh, share. I don't know if there's a slide here or not. But just a few things to be encouraged about. Share the gospel without tampering it, tampering with it. Remember, it's only the power of the gospel that can lift the veil of the lost. Share your story, but primarily share Christ. And lastly, as we've been exhorted, do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. Will you join him in the work of the gospel today?